All right, y'all. Grace and peace, y'all. Y'all good? Yeah, I'm going to get a little close to you. I like to do the maybe I pair. Y'all comfortable with that? Because no one in the front. So, you know, no one ever sits in the front row. Okay. <laughs> it's the same at Epiphany, too. That's right. That's right. We normally don't. We normally, I don't know if it's because the preacher spits or what the deal is, or y'all had bad backgrounds or pastors that spit in the fact, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going in the front. Um, anyways, yeah, good to see y'all. It's been a minute since we've been here. Um, so we are, as you, as you know, um, I'm Tommy, we are uh, the lead pastor of Epiphany Fellowship LA, and so we've, as Jared was saying, we, we began in the, in the USC area, um, and the Lord began to shift a little bit into the Crenshaw area of South LA, and the minute we moved, it's kind of like church planting is like you go to the pond and you start fishing, and you just don't know where the fish are going to bite, and you find yourself in different parts of the lake, and when you find that spot where you see some biting going on, you're like, maybe God's at work here, maybe he's doing something, and so we've shifted over to Crenshaw, and since we've shifted there, we've had families begin to jump on board on prayer walks in the jungles, begin to see some singles jump on board. And so it's been fun to see in this process of gathering a team, but in the right location. Um, and so that's, that's even looking at, we're going to talk about uh, this morning, um, is this idea of, are we moving with the mission of God? Are you moving with the mission of God? And so for us as a church, that's been the process of just looking and saying, God, where are you at work in South LA? Where, where do you want us to zoom lens um, our attention towards and, and begin to, to, to lock and load for the glory of the King? And so um, that's something that sometimes in our life we have these questions and we're wondering, where is it, Lord? I'm not sure what you're doing here. And you're, you're wondering and asking questions. And, um, and so we're going to dive into that a little bit today. This idea, this question, I want to tag the text uh, today, are you moving with the mission of God? And so uh, if you open your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Acts 11, 19 through 26. Acts 11, 19 through 26. Um, let me pray for us uh, as we're turning there and as we uh, begin. Father, thank you for the grace you give us, Lord God, to be a part of your mission. Uh, Lord, thank you that, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the authority of your word. Thank you that we sit and we get to sit under the authority of your word. And Father, I pray that uh, as, as we dive into Acts uh, 11, Father, you would uh, give me the words, the, the clarity of, of thought process, the clarity of communication to communicate what saith the Lord in your word. Not, not what saith Tommy, what, what do I desire to say, but God, what, what is it that you're placing um, for Soma Culver City uh, for this day, Lord God, to continue to work in us, your church in LA, and particularly, um, Father, Soma Culver City, Lord, what, what it is that you're continually doing here and want to say today. Um, be with Pastor Tripp, Lord, as he's traveling and uh, continue to work in the Prague area and uh, continue to see your church multiplied. Thanks that uh, Culver City, uh, Soma Culver City has, has a mission and vision beyond just Culver City. Um, and we and at Epiphany South LA, Lord God, we, we have an opportunity and the privilege to be uh, recipients of that as well. And so, Father, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so open it up. And y'all can talk back if you want. I'm used to some, some little feedback and amens and okay. Or if you want to, you can just nod. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the amen in the in, the, in our in our dominant culture churches. Hmm, that's your that's your. I'm shouting right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, anyway, so jump in. I'm excited to get into this text today. Um, so let's go. Let's just read the text. We'll let the text speak. Uh, chapter 11 will be in 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. 
I remember when we were living in Philly, you know, we were in L.A. and then moved back into Philadelphia for seven years. And recently, about a year and a half, uh, moved back to begin the, the gathering process and location process for the plant. And I remember one time, if you all know Philadelphia, Philadelphia has a lot of snow in the winter. All right. So one of the years we were there, it had a there's a huge blizzard. So you look out. My wife was looking outside. We had to get ready to go somewhere. Right. But as she looked out the window, there was snow, mound of feet, uh, multiple feet of snow outside of our window. Our cars were piled up with snow. We were going to have to dig out. And so she says, there's no way we can get beyond this. There's no way we can do this because the snow is too high. And as we got it, said, okay, well, we need to do this. So I said, babe, let's, let's, I'll dig this out. We'll see what we need to do. So as we got out and got through that hindrance of the snow, looking like it made it impossible, when we got off our block, the roads were clear. The, the, the city had cleared the roads and life was as usual. The problem was, when we were looking from our vantage point, the snow seemed like an insurmountable mountain and obstacle for us to go where we needed to go. And if we did not push through that, we would not be where we needed to go, and we would have let that one snow instance eclipse the bigger picture and the opportunity to be a part of it. And that's often what happens is that we, there's this big picture of creation and redemption and what God is doing. And yet, if you're like me, there's those moments of life where something difficult happens and it seems like it's, it ha- it's full of insurmountable obstacles. And no longer can you see that something can actually happen if you just move beyond that obstacle. Does that make sense? Think about those things in your life. A time when you've had an obstacle come up and you just cannot see beyond it. That obstacle, all of a sudden, you know what you need to do. And then it snows that night and it looks like that thing eclipses your ability to see what you know you need to do. Am I in the house? So think about that because this is good company. Because when we see in creation... God creates the heavens and the earth, right? And what he does, he says, look, I have a mission for y'all. And that is the way that you guys relate to me, one another, and creation, and within yourself, is to honor me. And it was all intact in Genesis 1 and 2. And so he says, yo, go be fruitful, multiply. In other words, go throughout my globe that I created, planet earth, for you to steward and bring forth the maximum potential in creation in such a way that reflects the glory of God, our king. That was the mission. What happens? Man says, I don't know if God knows what's best. He gets enticed. He, gets, he, he sins when the enemy comes and says, yo, God is holding back from you. Right? He starts to kind of put an eclipse issue before Eve, who Adam is standing right with her, and both of them together, this question all of a sudden eclipses their ability to see the goodness of God and what God was calling them to. And as a result, they take a bite of the fruit and sin and death spreads rapidly. Right? Dying you shall die, the text says. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no let me bargain with you, Lord. This is the consequence of what happens. And that's from that beginning, that point on, all of a sudden man is always eclipsed by his own issues and his own agenda. To the point when you go to Genesis 11, remember the Tower of Babel? They're saying, man, we're spread throughout the earth and God's telling us, go be fruitful, multiply, spread throughout the earth, bring the maximum potential, enjoy me, in the process and what do they say when they get together hey let's build this really tall tower or else we actually might get spread throughout the earth <laughs> you see the utter rebellion so man says hey, i'm gonna do my own thing i'm gonna i'm gonna build this tower and 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 all of a sudden we're gonna seek to unify for a purpose but that purpose was not consistent with what god had called them to so the sin of selfishness and and self-identity and trying to find out who they were and i love how jerry was talking about this identity piece trying to find out who they were and how they identify is now on their terms and all of a sudden they're off mission the snow was too high and the snow was so high in fact that they said man we need to stay into the house Because we don't want to be scattered because, man, we might not make it. So all these doubts and fears about the goodness of God and his character all creep in. 
So God in his grace, he says, man, he has this series throughout redemptive history about the, the scriptures that God's like, look, I'm initiating different times and I'm trying to woo you all in. And, and then he calls Abraham and he calls Abraham and say, Abraham, go forth, man. He gives a covenant, a promise to Abraham. I'm going to make your people so, so numerous of the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky that as you spread forth, I want you to be a distinct people to show off my glory and my character once again to planet earth, my creation. And from that, the nations then would be drawn to who I am, Israel, in their eclipsed moments of not trusting God, of sin and brokenness. All of a sudden, they, they do the same thing, and they continue to choose their own way. And every single time throughout creation and throughout redemption and throughout this process of this, God is initiating and man continues to say no. Man says, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to try to unite around my own my own stuff and what happens until we come in the fullness of time god says look i know y'all can't do this the law shows you that you messed up so what does he do he says man i'm gonna send my very son the eternal son of god i'm gonna send him down to planet earth he's gonna take on flesh and he's gonna live the life that y'all could never live he's gonna die to death you deserve under wrath And he's going to resurrect on the third day to spark a new creation. And when Jesus does this, what does he do? He calls a new people. Right? I think, what's the thing? A family, a missionary family of churches? What is that family? There you go. A family of missionary servants. Right? He said, I'm going to call a church together. Right? To once again reflect my purpose to go global to make much of my name so that the nations will see my glory. So he calls a new people. And this is what we pick up in Acts chapter 1. Is Jesus comes and Luke says, look, Theophilus, in my first book, in the gospel of Luke, he says, man, I wrote of all the things that Jesus did and taught. In other words, he says, look, remember what Jesus did and taught. Jesus died for your sin. And he didn't just die for your sin, but he died so that you could be put on a new mission with the people of God for God's purpose and glory. Stick with me. I'm going somewhere with this. This is background. I know y'all know this, but stick with me on it. So he says, I'm going to call y'all in together. And then here's what he tells this, this ragtag group of guys who had seen the resurrected Lord. They come from brokenness. They're not of noble birth. But Jesus says, I'm going to fix my affection on you and call y'all to be about this mission that I sparked from the very beginning that sin and your rebellion ravished. But I'm going to try to lift your, your eyes from the snow and from the circumstances so you can start seeing what I'm really wanting you to be about. And here's what he says. Throughout Luke, he's talking about y'all missing the Messiah. So he's, he's trying to get them into understanding who he is as Messiah, one who must suffer and die, not just come and rule, because if he came to rule the political government like the, like the Israelites were expecting, we would all be in hell under the wrath because it wouldn't be an issue of forgiveness. But scripture said he must so that he can actually call a people together that are back on his mission as his covenant people. So here's what he says, Acts 1. Go to Acts 1. Here's kind of the layout of the book of Acts because Acts 11 is nestled right up in the narrative of Acts. And so go to chapter 1. Here's what he says. He says, so in the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all these things Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands for the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. All right, so he presented himself to them. He tells them, he gives them commands, tells them what he's called to do. And here's what he says to them. Uh, He says, verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to actually come and restore it? Now he says, look, you guys are asking the wrong questions. You're still eclipsed with a misunderstanding of who the Messiah is. He says, look, if I came to establish it now, like there wouldn't be the massive, we wouldn't be in Christ today. If he established it right then, that meant that when he would come, he would wreck shop and set up his kingdom of which only those that would be in there are the ones that would be forgiven and that we wouldn't be there. Right? And so there's this patience of the Lord. He says, I have a rescue mission that I'm going to be about. And here's what he says. He says, so look, don't get eclipsed off base. I need you to lift your gaze and begin to understand the big picture of what I'm calling y'all to. All right? And he, so, so he continues on in this. He says, and so um, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed of his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
in all of Judea and where else? And the ends of the earth. This is the layout of the book of Acts. He says, I need to lift your eyes, church. And he's asking them, I need you to be on the mission, moving with the mission of God. And so he, he launches into that. And through this book, what he's doing is he's setting up and he's, he's constantly teaching the church and uh, trying to align the church by his spirit into his mission and what he's calling us to. Because the church, you'll see, has a tendency to get off kilter. We in our lives have a tendency to get off kilter. And so Jesus is constantly saying, guys, I need you to begin to grasp and understand what it is to move with the mission of God. And so he says, he starts in this text, as as we come to the text today, he has been laying out how the gospel has been going through some of this journey. And yet it had been going heavily in Jerusalem. All right. And so it begins to get into some other areas, but it's heavy in Jerusalem. So. Here's what we got to look at as we come to this text. Is if we're going to move with the mission of God, the first thing is we must learn to view difficulties from God's missional perspective. If we're going to move with the mission of God and begin to answer that question, are we moving with the mission of God? As we'll see in the text, then we got to ask that question. We must learn to view the difficulties uh, from God's mission. And so here's what he starts with chapter, uh, in, in go to chapter 11 verse 19. The text begins like this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So you have these men, you have those who were scattered because of the persecution from Stephen. So what is happening here? Chronologically, just to set this up, chronologically, that text chronologically fits with chapter 8. Go to chapter 8. So what, is, what, what it says in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Saul approved of his execution. Whose execution? Stephen's. Saul approved of Stephen's execution. What had been happening up until chapter 8 is the gospel was going into Jerusalem. It was focused in Jerusalem. Mind you, Acts 1.8 says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, And the uttermost parts of the world. Not in order, but he just says, and, 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 and. Go to the store and get bread and milk and corn. I mean, do you follow that chronological list? It's like, I just need it, right? It doesn't mean it's a a chronological reality. This is how, right? We often view it like that, but he's like, he's like, just go. This is where I'm calling y'all to go, right? So he gets at, he gets at the sense of he's, he, he's he, it, up in there, it's only in Jerusalem in chapters 1 through 7. And in chapter 7, Stephen in Jerusalem, this is the climax before transition in chapter 8. He stands up and he says to the Jews, you guys always resist the Holy Spirit. You've rejected the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. And not only that, but you don't even obey the law you, you believe. And what do they do in response to that? They kill him. They stone him to death. And this is, this is a transition because up until that point, there was isolated imprisonments. There was isolated instances of persecution. But it was isolated things. After Stephen is stoned, chapter 8 verse 1 says, Saul is standing there approving of this execution. At that point, watch what happens. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. This is a a systemic persecution of the church that is kicked in at this point. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of where? Chapter 8, verse 1. Judea, Samaria. What's going on? They were persecuted, and systemic persecution now happens in the church. And where is the church being scattered to? (laughs) Where the outline is going, where God is moving the mission. So they're now going, they're found in Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So 
persecution is kicking in, and all of a sudden now, God is moving the church on mission. So, it's interesting how God in here, he uses persecution to move the church where the church needs to go. The church was, they weren't necessarily comfortable But you know, you got isolated instances. It gave the ability to some people within the church to maybe maybe stay behind the closed doors or they were maybe the ones peeking in when Peter got out of prison and he's like, hey, I'm free. And they're like, okay, come on in. You know what I'm saying? But when systemic oppression and persecution invaded and happened, the church now is finally moving where God wants the church to move. Here's a beautiful thing. God can take the persecution and the oppression and difficulties of life, and he uses it for his purpose. He uses that persecution for his purpose. For instance, I, I remember when, um, when I was in college and I, got a, um, I, had to go, I started having a big old growth on my lip. And I was like, what is this thing, right? Like, kept growing and growing. And so I went to the doctor and they took a sample of it. And it's like the Lord is like, man, you're about to be on a journey, man, but I got you. I get a call the next day or thereabouts, whenever it was. I get a call soon thereafter, and the doctor says, yeah, man, you got squamous cell carcinoma. I got to set you up. In other words, you got one of the fastest moving skin cancers um, out there. And so I got to set you up with a plastic surgeon just in case they have to really take a lot of stuff out. So I'm like, okay, Lord, like this is crazy. Like I don't understand how this could be good at all. This doesn't make sense to me. This is ridiculous. And so... As I go to the doctor, we go to this plastic surgeon, and this plastic surgeon is a, is, is a gentleman from India who follows Sikhism, right? And so as I get talking to him, it's clear that he knows nothing about the gospel. And so we, we start talking, and, um, and so then I, I go, and the, the elders of the church prayed over me, and um, just there was this deep sense of peace, like God was up to, up to something. And so I get to the doctor. He takes the, 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 the little sample biopsy of it, goes and tests it, right? Because he's thinking, man, I'm going to have to really go. Because when they got the sample, it was fully submerged with squamous cell carcinoma. Like this thing was spreading. And so he takes the sample. And uh, then he calls back later on. He says, uh, Mr. Forster, you're, um, you can come in, Beth, but uh, you don't, like, there's, no, there's no cancer here. And so I go in. And my pops had come with me. And so I go in. And he's just wondering, like, I don't understand. I said, man, Jesus did this. He's like, and I'm, pray, I'm like, praise Jesus. He's like, praise it. Like, he didn't really know. Like, he didn't have a concept, right? You know what I'm saying? But what was cool is that I was able to give glimpses of the gospel. And then I was able to write a letter to him, just thank him for his services. But then I just shared the gospel and said, man, the same Jesus that, has, that healed me of this has the authority to forgive your sin. And I had no clue that God would use something like squamous cell cancer to put me in a position where he would actually want to see the gospel spread. You see, God will take, and that's throughout history. You could take in Egypt, right, when they tried to to put more hard work on the people of God. And yet the more that they oppressed the people of God, they just grew more and more. Right? Like, it, it's a sense of whenever the enemy comes to try, to try to use something, like with Joseph, his brother sold him into slavery. What happened? He ends up in the second top position of Egypt, and he tells them after his process what God meant, what, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. So there is a sense where God will use persecution, difficulties, tough things in your life to put you where he wants you to be about his mission. But in those times, what do we often do? We start sulking. Woe is me. I'm depressed. Life sucks. What do I do here, right? Does that make sense? And God is like, hey, guys, sometimes I am the God who will take persecution, who will take cancer, who will take the brokenness because of sin and death that's all throughout the world. I will take it and I will flip it on its head and I will use it for the advancement of my purpose and my kingdom. That's the beautiful thing about our God is that, and, and so, and yet in order for us to move on that mission, we got to begin to recognize like God is using the difficulties to advance his kingdom. And so we, we, we want to see that and what goes on with that. And, and not only that, let's continue on in the text. So he says this, they were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. They traveled as far as Phoenicia 
Cyprus and Antioch. Now these places are more north and beyond Judea and Samaria. So they're actually, this group of people are actually kind of going into what would be the potentially the, the, the ends of the earth. So they're moving beyond Samaria because of the persecution. Here's the thing. While they're moving further geographically with the mission, what are they doing? What's going on? They spoke the word to no one except Jews. So here's the interesting thing about that. They spoke to no one except the Jews. Now, it makes sense if you take it chronologically. Hey, all they were ministering to in Jerusalem were Jews. They were ministering to Jews and trying to persuade that Jesus is the Messiah. So they're used to their normal way of operating in ministry was ministering to Jews. That was their cultural comfort. That's who they were used to ministering to. And so that's, it makes sense. If you take it chronologically from chapter 8, when they were scattered, that's where they went. They went to minister to what they were familiar with, the Jews. So you have going to the ends of the earth geographically, but you weren't ministering to the ends of the earth. But you know what? They ministered to what they were used to. And so that, that's what we see them in is, is they're jumping in, they're, they're ministering to. Here's the interesting thing about that. The tragedy here is that chapter 11 is not recorded by the inspiration of the Spirit by Luke after chapter 8. It's recorded in chapter 11. Chapter 8, 9, and 10 talk about the establishment and affirmation of the Gentile mission. So all of a sudden, where the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles, because they, the, they were the pagans, they, didn't have the, they weren't the people of the promise, they're like, nah, like those people are over there. I'm not dealing with those people over there. I'm going with what's, what's familiar. I.e., if I could put a little parenthetical, one thing about our city is that what's going on right now is you have forms of gentrification happening. And so when people move into neighborhoods like South L.A., the moving is, is say, man, it's cheaper and I love close proximity to the city. But what's happening is there's going in, but the people in my community, they're asking, yo, people moving in, like, are they moving to be a part of our community or to take over our community? And so similarly, what happens is that we can move into a geographical location like the disciples and totally miss what God is doing. And in, in even what I was saying, gentrification is something that's happening. And yes, it's, it's got some benefits, but it has a lot of hurts for our community and our city, right? And our poor brothers and sisters. So what happens is that we could be moving geographically and God can be using this. But if we're moving without being on his mission and we're only staying with people that we're comfortable with, then what happens? Like it's, it, it perpetuates a philosophy and understanding of people that who is this Jesus? If you're coming in and like Jesus isn't for me because you're just hanging out with people that you're comfortable with, that says something about the gospel. Does that make sense? And so similar what's happening is they're moving in. The tragedy about this section of scripture is with 8, 9, and 10 talking about the Gentiles and it's the affirmation that now Gentiles are part of the faith. They're a part of the body of Christ. In other words, they're a part of the mission. What the tragedy of this is that, is that we as the readers don't have this chronologically between 8 and 11. We have it read after it's clear to us in 8, 9, 10, and the beginning of 11, that the Gentiles are part of the mission. So the fact that when we read this, and they said, hey, they went to these lands that are full of Gentiles that are to going towards the ends of the earth, beyond Samaria, they only spoke to the Jews. Why did they only speak to the Jews? There's a lot of reasons, but some of it could be that that's what they were comfortable with. Those Gentiles, I don't know, like, I don't know about them. Like, they eat pig, right? And I don't, I don't do that as a Jew, right? Even though we see in chapter 10 that Jesus is like, dude, don't call unclean what I made clean to the sheep that he put with all these unclean animals for Peter. So we see this. We're like, man, where is that in our life? Where do we go to these places, sometimes even persecution as a result, right? And we're moved and displaced, and yet we just stay with the people that we get along with the most, 
We just stay with people we're the most comfortable with. And God is saying, man, that, that, that right there is a tragedy because I'm already going to the Gentiles, but y'all stay with the Jews. Something is utterly wrong with that. And so here's, here's where he goes. He goes, so a lot of these, uh, the root of that is like, man, do I understand what this mission is? Because what they have done is they have taken the mission and they've interpreted it through their cultural ethnic lens. And that has defined who they go to as opposed to what Jesus has already said and what he's told them to go to the ends of the earth. And then in Luke 24, he says, look, I'm calling you to preach the gospel to all the nations. But they did not do that, whether it was fear, whether it was anger, whether it was prejudice, whether it was disappointment, whether it was hurt, whether it's I want my comfort over the kingdom, whatever it is, he's challenging that and saying, where do we go? Are we moving with the mission of God when God puts us in a place that we sometimes didn't even imagine? And this goes for all of us. This goes for all of us. And so we got to understand that God uses, if we're going to move on the mission of God, we got to understand that God will use our difficulties. We got to view our difficulties and suffering as ways that God is using to move us on the mission. And as he does that, we need to start talking with him and conversing to say, Lord, am I understanding that your mission is not just the people like me? And so here's a beautiful thing is in verse 20, he continues on. We also must remember if we're going to be moving on the mission of God, that Jesus is Lord of the mission. We got to remember that Jesus is Lord of the mission. And God never, God always leaves a remnant. He's always at work in what he's doing, right? Even though they just went to all these lands because of the scattering and they only preached the gospel to, Gentile, to, the, to, uh, to the Jews, watch this, God is still at work. But there's a contrast here. While they didn't get it, while they weren't moving on the mission of God, while they were moving geographically, but they were, they were missing cross-ethnic, cross-socioeconomic, they were missing that, but God is still at work. Watch this. He's so gracious. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. But there were some of them Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the, Ellen, the, the Hellenists as well. So these men, they come, uh, even though the church at large didn't deal with the Gentile dilemma. So chronologically, they hadn't dealt with chapters 8, 9, 10, 11 yet. These men, who remain nameless, these men go to these Hellenists. Greek-speaking non-Jews and also and preach the gospel to them. Did you catch that? The Gentile mission by the church is not yet established. So it makes sense for the church based on cultural understanding just to go to the Jews. There was no, they didn't have the benefit of seeing Peter proclaim to the church in Jerusalem the spirit of God fell on him when I was preaching the gospel. He wasn't even circumcised. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. They didn't have that benefit. But what they did is somehow something in them clicked, whether it's remembering Luke 24 that said, I want you to go to all nations. Whatever it was, they went to Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city of the Roman Empire. Antioch was crazy. <laughs> Antioch was full of pagans, full of Gentiles, right? And it also had a lot of Jews. So while these other uh, disciples are hiding out in the synagogues and the Jews, some of them, men from Cy- Cyprus and Cyrus, they, Cyprus, they actually went and also speak the word to the Gentiles. So these guys, what they did is, without even being established in the church, what did they do? They broke the comfort zone to obey Jesus Christ. They remembered, we have to go to this, even if it's difficult, even if I don't understand it, we need to go to these Hellenists and preach the gospel. They're moving on the mission of God while those over here are not. They're missing something. And that's what Luke sets up in Acts is that they were missing this. And watch this. These men who went to the Hellenists also. 
They went to the uncomfortable places. Why? Because Jesus called them there. These men had no names. Text doesn't say it. They're just some men went to these places. What are the implications of that? They weren't. What's that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are as a result of them stepping out in faith, even though the church wasn't like, go do this. But they're like, I think Jesus asked us to do this. Yeah, that's good. What else? What are the other implications of that? I know y'all do interactive, right? With, with, uh, so what are the other, I'm sorry, shifted. What, what are the implications? Yeah. That's right. That's right. And as pastors, we're called to equip people to do the work of ministry. And I know that's what Pastor Tripp is seeking to do and the other elders here, to equip people for the work of ministry so that there's freedom to go into those areas. What, what, other, what are the other implications? These men were nameless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about his name. Absolutely. Yeah. And what else? What else? There's one thing I'm thinking about. <laughs> they were nameless. Were they pastors? Were they deacons? They were lay people. Lay people took the initiative to do what Jesus was calling the church to do, to do it. Isn't that crazy? And then eventually what happens is that then the Lord, because the Lord does, he, 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 he sets up authority in the church. What the Lord does is the Lord then sets up and calls Saul out of his persecution, as being a persecutor, right? And now he is about this, but it shows in between that, Peter is going and validating. So now the church is saying, yes, this is what we need to do. But guess who led it? Lay people who walked with Jesus. I'm just saying, like, there's a sense of where, as the church, we need to be on our hands and knees, seeking the face of the Lord and saying, who's my neighbor? Who's the person that I'm most uncomfortable with? What person do I like? Man, I don't even know about it, but sometimes I think I have prejudiced thoughts or racial thoughts against a person. And be real with it. Like, if we're not, racism is real. Classism is real. Those are the two most rampant areas in our city. And so we got to be aware of saying, man, how does that stuff cause me to, how does it eclipse my ability to be about the greater mission? Does that make sense? So lay people led this thing. And then God used leaders and raised up elders to equip the saints to lead and shepherd and push people towards the, the equipping uh, for the, the work of ministry. And so how did they, go to, go to continue in verse 20, 20 verse B. How does someone... Do that. Go outside of their comfort zone and preach this gospel that Jesus is calling them to preach. How do they do that? Well, watch this. Who did they preach? Go to verse 20b. They preached the Lord Jesus. Now, sometimes texts will say in different areas they preach Jesus Christ, right? Like there's, but here it's very clear, like some other sections of scripture, they preach the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. See, here's what's so cool about the, them uh, preaching the Lord Jesus is in Antioch, if it's a part of the Roman Empire, who's it under? Caesar. Who do they call Caesar? Lord. Caesar claimed to be a son of God, the divine one. He, he claimed to have this anointing thing where he is God. So Paul comes, um, not Paul, sorry. These people come and they're preaching the Lord Jesus. That could get you killed in Antioch. What gave them the grace to preach to Gentiles that probably had allegiance to Caesar before to preach the Lord Jesus, to put their lives at risk for going across ethnic lines, cross economic, cross religious, to go and to preach the Lord Jesus is because they knew the Lord Jesus. Because they didn't just play religion and hide in comfort areas. They said, yo, look, here's the thing. Jesus said to go to all the nations. Now, they didn't say that, but I'm trying to imagine, based on what Jesus gave them in Luke 24, someone got it. And they actually walked it out. And when they walked that out, here's the beautiful thing is, they were motivated by the Lord Jesus to do what Jesus was calling them to do. And then here's what's, what's beautiful with that. Keep going on it. He says, as a result, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. 
So he says, look, these guys went and they just went with the Jews, which isn't a problem to minister to the Jews. But you see the contracts in the text. We know, we see he's going to the Gentiles and they went to no one except the Jews. Now these people, when they took a step of faith, because Jesus was Lord, they, they followed his, they were moving with his mission. They were confident in their identity in Christ. They were confident that he was Lord. So whether I'm crucified um, in Rome and Antioch for this, he's my Lord and he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. I need to let him make, be made known. So as they did that, watch this. He says, the hand of the Lord was with them. God says, I'm with this mission. These guys are risking their life for the sake of my mission, and I'm with them. My hand, for the powerful hand of God was with them. And then a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This turning is different than metanoia. Metanoia is like the typical like repentance of changing your mind, your affections, your heart. This turning is a turning that says you're going this way. You entrust your life into Jesus and you're going a different, you're literally, there's a walking a different way. It's not just changing your mind. It is a walking, your life is walking in a different way. In other words, it wasn't just let me get the statement, the, the doctrine, doctrinal statement of faith right and then I'm good. No, they said, look, these guys Actually, their lives were changing. These guys' lives were changing. They turned to the Lord. How did they do that? Well, who discipled them? Who was preaching to them? People who took Jesus seriously. If you take Jesus seriously and your life is imitating Christ, guess what happens to the people you lead to faith and disciple? They take Jesus seriously. That's when you start, discipleship is the sense of modeling. And if I'm not letting Jesus get me on his mission in every area of my life, that's going to impact how I disciple. And people, it's not just what I can teach them in word, but man, am I doing it? Am I going to those areas? And that's what's so beautiful about this is that they, a great number believed and God was with them because they, Jesus was Lord. Here's a final thing. If you're going to move on God's mission, we also must remember that God's mission trumps our mission. When you say Jesus is Lord, then you begin to see that God's mission trumps our mission. Watch this. Go to verse 22. Wrap up in this section. He says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So the church in Jerusalem is saying, wait, hold up. People in Antioch are coming to Christ? Gentiles, Hellenists are coming to Christ? Wow, so what did they do? Who did they send? The report came to the ears of the church and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Why? For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. See, the church didn't just send anybody. Imagine if the church uh, sent James and John. Oh man, y'all sinners. Like, they're like, like, they're like the sons of thunder, right? I mean, I know they're being redeemed, but they're sons of thunder. Imagine if they sent James and John or even Peter, right? Who these guys were impatient. They were kind of like, let's, let's get this done, right? Imagine he sent them to a church that's still a hot mess because they were in Antioch and paganism went, but they trusted Jesus and their lives, they turned, they were beginning to imitate Jesus. Imagine if they sent anybody but Barnabas. Here's the cool thing about Barnabas. Barnabas in chapter four of Acts 36, what's he do? He sells his house. He's generous. So what did the disciples say? They say, man, we're going to call you Barnabas, son of encouragement. He didn't name himself. He didn't try to get a name for himself. He's just trying to live out his calling. So he, he says, man, th- this is where we're, we're going to call you, all, you Barnabas. And then guess what? When Paul comes to faith, the church is like, yo, man, you've been killing us. Why are we going to listen to you? Why are we going to listen to you? And so what does Barnabas do? He says, hey, come on, Paul. Or Saul at that time. Come on, Saul. And he said, look, Saul is legit. He vouched for Saul. Why? Because he saw God's evidence of grace in Saul's life. The other church couldn't get beyond the hurt and the pain. They couldn't hurt for the fact that that man had murdered people in their families. They could not get beyond the pain of the stuff. And so Paul says, Saul says, man, or Barnabas says, Saul, come on, man. We're going to deal with this stuff. And I'm going to have the church deal with this. And so he's, a, he's someone 
who can go. He, Barnabas is that guy that could say, hey man, I know cr- things are crazy, but I see some grace in your life. And here's what I see in your life. And he starts speaking like how we, what he sees in your life. And you're like, oh man, you're like shame filled because you're jacked up in this area. And he starts speaking and saying, he starts pulling out what he sees God doing in your life. He doesn't come up and say, psh, psh, man, how do you? Like, why are you doing that, right? Like, he doesn't come up and start slapping you like, y'all still hot mess, da 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 right? Like, he recognizes there is an evidence of grace of God going on. And what does he do? He milks that. Amen. He milks grace and he starts getting in it. And that's what's needed. If we're going to be a people on mission, go into messy areas, we need Barnabases. And we need to check our hearts to say, man, do I recognize areas of grace? Do I see the big picture? Because he was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He saw that God could move and work beyond what he presently saw. Why? Because he saw evidences of grace at work. And he milked that. So that's something that's key. And as a result of that, finally it says this. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Because you can imagine, I pray for that day where, where people like are broken and sinners are jacked up that are on weed, that are on drugs, that are on meth, that are prostitutes, that are former gangbangers. They're walking in and they're saying, man, there's something about Jesus. I don't know what it is, but like y'all exude something. And they, we preach the gospel and they hear Jesus. You look at the, the, foreign, the lawyers and the, the boardroom people, like all the different civic leaders that come through Soma and they're in Culver City and they're upper mobility and they're going after the American dream. And yet they feel empty and broken. And guess what? They come to Soma and they're like, yo, man, man, there's something about this. And what? You preach the gospel, God changes them and they're a hot mess still practically. But guess what? You're starting to notice like, hey man, God is greater. Look what he's doing in your life. Did you ever think that God could work in us sinners like that? And kind of make us right with him and begin to work this process out? And all of a sudden, you have people that were broken up. That, that now they're trusting Jesus. And their lives are practically being changed. That's what was going on, not only in Jesus' ministry, but in this context. He says, look, so a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And we had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Saul was a persecutor of church, but Paul's like, man, I know that dude. I've seen grace in his life. Those you know, Paul was more gifted than Barnabas. Paul was probably a better, he's better missiologist and trying to understand the text and all this kind of stuff. So, but here's the thing. Barnabas was so passionate about the big picture that it's not about his mission. It's not about his name. In fact, it's never been about his name, even though it's a broken dude, because he didn't even take the name Barnabas, but they gave it to him because he was just simply trying to walk with Jesus, repent where he needed to and walk in the light of Jesus. Barnabas comes, he says, look, I'm not about my name. Come on, man. I, I, need, I need you. I need you, Saul. Come on in here. And we're going we're gonna to teach this church for a year. Because he knew that the mission of God trumps his own agenda, Amen. his own identity, his own glamour. And, and, and that's the thing about what's significant. And as a result, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch, not in Jerusalem, they were, they were called followers of the way, Paul says, based on Acts 9. They were called followers of the way. But in Antioch, you had such a church that started from some lay people going in obedience to Jesus to the Hellenists, preaching the gospel, and then God, the, the big ways, Jerusalem catches wind, they send Barnabas, he teaches them, encourages them, recognizes grace, he brings Paul, because he's like, this is about the mission of God, and they develop a church that what? That church in Acts 13 sent the most churches. They commissioned Paul and Barnabas. If it was me in Acts 13, I'd be like, yo, man, like, don't send Paul and Barnabas. They're some of our greatest leaders. But the Spirit of God set them apart. And so the question for us as we go through this, what are the things that are hindering you from being a part of a church that is moving with the mission of God? What are you individually? Where, where is that? Where's that neighbor? Who's that person? Where, do you drive through parts of LA that you're like, oh gosh, I would never want to do this. Where, where is God beginning to work in you? Because where he puts you geographically, wherever it is, whether you end up living there and you didn't want to, whether you end up working there and you didn't want to, God has you there for a reason. Will you go forward and be about the mission of God today in those areas that are hard? Because when you do that, And as we begin to build one another up, recognize the grace of God and maximize that in the gospel, and you're going to see 
continual growth and development by God's grace for his glory in Culver City. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace and the opportunity you give us, Lord God, to, um, man, to be your people. Lord, we, we all, when we think about it, man, we all were once lost. We all were um, trapped in iniquity, Lord God. We, we all were going about and kind of doing our own agenda. And God, if we're honest, some of us right now, Lord God, I know I easily get here in my life. Some of us right now, Lord, are eclipsed from the big picture. There's something in our life happening right now that we just are so anxious about, we're worried about, that we cannot see the big picture. I don't even have time. I confess I've done this. When life gets so anxious, I don't have time for my neighbor. I don't have time for that person, my coworker. Some of us, sometimes it's like, I just don't have time to talk to my kids right now. Lord, and so I pray in the mighty name of Jesus right now, Father, that this would be a place, even as we prepare for communion, this would be a place where we can present those before you. God, give us the grace to call them what they are. If it's sin from anxiety, let's call it that. Lord, if it's I just don't like people because of X, Y, Z, or I have bitterness in my heart, Let's call it that and bring it before you. Lord, give us the grace. Thank you that through the gospel, we don't have to prove anything. You've done it all for us in Christ. And now, Lord God, we can come honestly before you and say, God, do a work. Uproot anything, Lord, that would hinder us from being your people moving on your mission. And Lord, that's, may we as a people talk about these things and trust you. And may you bless Continue to bless Soma Culver City as they bless us as a plant. May you continue to bless, Father, for fruitfulness in the gospel. Bearing with one another in love. Speaking the truth to one another. Lord, not, not taking our identity of, of did we do this or did we not do this, but being patient and understanding, God, how does the gospel work out in our life? And so, Lord, thank you that you are at work in our lives. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Um, Father, whether we have a Pharisaic understanding or tendency or whether we have a non of a, of a prodigal son far out tendency, convict us, Lord, that we would see grace as the equalizing, the great equalizer, and there we will build and let you do what you do through the gospel. So we bless you, we thank you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.